call me crazy, but I find talking about accounting and finances to actually be really fun. <laughs> My guest today is Keela Hill Trawick, who is the founder of Little Fish Accounting, which works with very, very, very small businesses to thrive using a transparent and easy to understand approach to accounting. And not only do I think that Keela makes talking about accounting and finances really approachable and informative uh, in this episode, but it's really, really obvious that she cares very deeply about helping business business owners and approaches her work from a place that is super purposeful and intentional, one of my favorite words, um, and is really about creating a human first connection. I had the greatest time speaking with her. Uh, I say at the end, like what has been made clear to me over the course of this hour conversation is that you are my people. She is my people. <laughs> um, I, I cannot say enough about how much I enjoyed speaking with her, not just about accounting and money, but like being a human first as a business owner and approaching your business from a way that is human centric and focused on your values as a as a human as the person who is running the business so i hope you love her as much as i did i hope you love this conversation as much as i do and uh let's get to it Welcome to Sustainable Scaling, a podcast for small service-based business owners who want to simply and sustainably scale from six to seven figures with strategy, systems, and a little bit of soul. My name's Adrienne Gallia, the founder and CEO of Soulpreneur, where I'm on a mission to help business owners just like you create time, financial, and lifestyle freedom through strategy operations and building a team so that you have a business that you not only love and pays you super well, but that can operate without you. So you can take actual unplugged vacations, you can step away from social media, and you can spend your time doing the things you love with the people that you love. Welcome to the show. All right, Keela, uh, just to kick us off, do you want to let us know who you are, what you do, how you help? Sure. My name is Keela Hill Trawick. I am the founder and owner of Little Fish Accounting, which is a CPA firm for very small businesses. So almost probably 90 something percent of our clients have one, maybe two owners and teams of less than 10. So we focus on providing accounting, financial and tax information to really tiny businesses who are making big revenues. Amazing. I've already, I'm, I've already got questions just off that. So, <laughs> but the first question I like to ask people is what does sustainability in business mean to you? Yeah, I mean, I feel like this is a really interesting question, especially given where I am with Little Fish and my business. Um, I like to say we had the realization this year that Little Fish is its own ideal client, very small business, providing pretty high touch services at a premium price to in order to serve people using our skills and service. And so for me, sustainability means that we can keep doing that and having lives. It's really important on our team that like people get time off that is really off. That is not, I'm, I'm, I have no interest in working from the beach. I want to be on the beach and not doing any work. And yes. so for us, that means really being off, able to spend time with our families. The idea that like what we're doing is to pay for the lives that we want to live and not the other way around where work is our only life. That is, that is the, that is the move. <laughs> that is the move. <laughs> That's I, I'm the same. When I was younger, 
I was totally like, I'll travel anywhere and I can still work. Mm-hmm. Like I went to Australia for a month and worked the whole, the whole way through it. I went to Europe for a couple of weeks, worked the whole way through. Like I was so I'll go anywhere because I can work. And that's mm-hmm. the, that's the real benefit of what my job allowed me to do. And now I don't know. I don't know if it's like a thirties thing, but I'm like, I don't want to do that. I want to go, if I'm going to be wherever I'm going to be, like, I want to enjoy the culture. I want to enjoy the, mm-hmm. the people I want to enjoy. Like what, I don't want to have to worry about like, oh, I'm going to check my email and what time zone am I in? And right. how do I communicate with this person? Like, I don't, I don't want to do that anymore. It also creates just a false sense of urgency for both your life and your business. Yes. Because as long as you're thinking, what time zone is I, am I in? Is somebody emailing me? Yes. Does somebody need something from me? Even when you're off, you're on. Cause you're like, I should just check for my phone really fast and really trying to distance ourselves from that idea so that we come to a place where it's like, you are at work. And then you are off work. You have two separate lives, especially in this remote environment, trying to make sure that that doesn't carry over into it kind of seeping in for the rest of your time, even when you're technically not, quote, on the clock. A hundred percent. I said to someone recently, I was like, there, in, in my world, there does not, there's no such thing as a work emergency. No. Like, no, I, and I would be interested to hear your take on that as a CPA, because like, there you'd have actual deadlines that have actual consequences if they're not met. So that, but like, I'm not, you know, this is, I'm not a police officer. I'm not a doctor. I'm not like, there's what, what emergency do I have? Well, we have those conversations internally where we are constantly reminding ourselves that there are no accounting emergencies. Yes, there are deadlines, but we know about them far in advance. We require information be submitted to us in a timely basis so that we can make sure that we meet those. So for example, for tax deadlines, we require that clients submit all of their documentation a month in advance in order to meet the deadline. There is no emergency when you submit your stuff on the 13th and it's due on the 15th because I told you that I needed it last month. And so really making sure that clients have expectations that we have set that for the team. But by the time, say, you get a letter from the IRS or something comes up, it's not an emergency for today. We are going to take care of it. We are going to make sure that we look at it. We're not going to be, you know, late in getting that information to you. But the earlier that you get it to us, the earlier that we can move on it. Um, I'm not, again, interested in our team being on this false sense of urgency of like, I have to drop everything that I do because you just emailed me this letter this morning. It's fine. We're going to get back to them and we're going to make sure that you know the consequences of all of this. But the likelihood is that those are not emergencies for us so much as you got this letter three weeks ago. You didn't tell us until this morning and we are going to work as fast as we can, but that's not going to start this afternoon. Boundaries. Boundaries. And we had to learn those. That's well, and I think that's a good because I think that for someone who like when I when I think about getting a letter from the IRS, mm-hmm. that seems emergent mm-hmm. to me. Like that's terrifying. I ran a nonprofit for I found I started and founded and scaled a nonprofit up. And I remember the first time I had a letter from the IRS that was like I don't even remember what they were contacting me about because I did my, the first year that we were required to file an actual tax return and not like the postcard. Oh yeah. 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 The real 990. The the real, yeah. The actual 990. I remember I, I did it myself. I was, I'm weird in that I, I have to do it once myself so that I know how to do it. And after Mm -hmm. that, then anyone else can do it, but I've got to know how to do it myself first. So I filed taxes 
myself the first time <laughs> without anyone's help. Oh, and I was that, like, I got the 90s hard. It was, it was, I've always filed my own taxes. So I was like, I feel like I understand the language and I understand how to navigate this to some extent. And then I was like, I never want to do this ever again. No. But as it turns out, I didn't do it the right way the first time. And I was like, the, I'm going to get shut down. That everything is awful. Everything is horrible. I'm the worst. I shouldn't have done this much. Like it was, it felt very emergent. And that's even some like, it's the government. It's the, it's something that seems really mm-hmm. scary. It's not like they were totally willing to work with me. They were, you know, they, they understood they were, it wasn't so bad that I feel like we all can just use that reminder to like, take a breath that nothing is actually so horribly urgent that it requires us to like totally dysregulate our nervous system and do all kind like we just set ourselves off for, for yeah, what? very much so. And you know, I like to remind clients and listeners and everybody who's kind of within earshot that like take a breath read the letter. Because usually the letter is, we didn't get this form for you. You said this in this line and we don't understand what that means. And we're going to have to gather some information in order to respond to them anyway. The other thing is typically they will give you a deadline. Candidly, the IRS is notorious for sending you stuff and the deadline has already passed by the time the letter gets to you. Like, do your best. The IRS is really trying to get information. State agencies are trying to get information to make sure that what you have and what they have matches up. It is scary, especially since finances and taxes, especially since finances and taxes already feel like nerve wracking to people. It feels like, and I got a letter, I'm about to go to jail or they're about to shut my stuff down. And They're not trying to do that. Step one is, can we make sure that we have the information that we need? Can we make sure that you meant to even tell us this? You said this, but that's not what we're seeing on our end. Does that make sense? And then we can move forward. And I think when you have that space and you have that expertise from somebody being like, I got this, we're going to talk to you about it, but you don't have to do anything right today. Hopefully that allows people to take a deep breath and say, all right, it's going to be handled and it doesn't have to be in this moment. I mean, the reality is to your point, if you're not a firefighter or a doctor or a police officer, very little that we do is immediately urgent. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm going to go back to your journey. (laughs) Cause I could, I could just keep talking about sustainability and boundaries and all the things. So uh, I'm curious, what got you into like, knowing that you wanted to niche into very small businesses, did you start in a, in a, like working for someone in an accounting firm and then you went off on your own? You've always, you've always been your own boss. No. And so what's interesting. So I come from corporate and government accounting. Um, So I had no experience with small businesses until I started Little Fish. I did know a couple of things. I knew that I wanted to make a more direct impact. So when you come from government, and I'm sure that this was very much the same in nonprofit, everything is so siloed that like I couldn't see the end of my work. I could submit something and then hopefully that went to all the places that it needed to, but I was only responsible for like this tiny piece. And I was getting bored in the government. Um, I 
didn't really care about what I was doing. And at the same time, I had a bunch of friends and people that I knew that were starting businesses of their own by themselves. Maybe they have one contract or something, but generally they were doing it alone. And what I wanted was to really acknowledge the fact that they don't get the same accounting service as major companies. Uh, Accountants tend to be really dismissive or condescending. And because they, like lawyers, are used to billable hours, it isn't really worth their time unless they can really make a lot of money off of you. Um, So that was one thing. I knew people that were experiencing this. The other thing that I knew about very small businesses is no one is going to tell them at the beginning. And so if you don't talk to someone when they're making $50,000, they're going to have a lot of mistakes when they're making $5 million. And so if we could set up this foundational piece that says, if you just build some good habits now, some of the fears that you have as you make more money, you still need help, you still need support, but they don't feel like brand new problems. They should just feel like a level up of something that you're already experiencing. So I knew from the very beginning, hence the name Little Fish, that we wanted to work with very small businesses. It really wasn't until recently, I would say the past year or two, that we niched down to specifically tiny businesses. We were taking a lot of clients in that area, but didn't really realize that that's who we were targeting. And what I understood about our business and who we serve best is one, if you are one person with one business that is doing most of the jobs, you have different problems than someone who has a team of 50 and people internally and all of that. The other thing that we knew is that there's a lot of overlap, right? There's a lot of feelings about the fact that this business money is technically the businesses, but I also need some of it and I need to figure out how that ends up in my personal account. And then finally, I wanted to make sure that we had a very holistic and intimate process that helped individuals to do what they needed to do. And we knew them. Um, It's important to me that we not take 300 tax people that I don't remember who they are and we're rushing to get all your stuff done and then we get your return out. We really um, emphasize this being like a spa-like experience. Someone is going to talk to you. Someone is going to answer your questions. You have ongoing email support. If it's not us, we will at least point you in the direction and say this is out of scope, but this is the direction that you should be looking at. And so I knew that that was more beneficial and valuable to people who didn't have as many team members in a way that doesn't feel the same when someone just wants you to check off the task. When they're just like, file my return or do my bookkeeping, I will look at it later. I really wanted to partner with people in a way that says you care about your business and we care too. And this is the part that we're responsible for. And this is the part that you really need to understand. How can we make sure that you have everything you need in order to make future strategic decisions about the business? I don't don't know if anyone... (laughs) If anyone is listening out there who would not want to hire you after hearing that, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> what a what a lovely introduction to what you do and why you chose to do that. And that's I was going to ask what made you choose the name Little Fish. Like most people, just it's their brand. Their brand name is their name. And so I was like, I'm curious what actually Little Fish means. But that makes sense if it's really like you're the little fish in the in the business pond. Very much so. And that all of these businesses are making these huge impacts and doing these big things with very tiny teams. And, you know, one of the things that I really respect about what you all talk about and what you put into the world and something that I have been really interested in exploring, especially as a Black woman in a space that like there are not a lot of us, is this idea that you don't have to be constantly expanding. Like we can support you with a team of five and that team of five might carry you for the next 10 years and online and, uh, 
entrepreneurship conversations are constantly about like scaling, growing, get more people, delegate. And not only does that cause more problems for you, it decreases your profit, right? So every time you add a person, that is a new expense. And so it's been really interesting for us to see from an accounting perspective, how can we make sure that we support you at the level that you're at, knowing that you may never hire another person or another person might not be on your agenda right now, but that doesn't mean that you can't make money. Yeah. I think the coaching industry kind of conditions us a little bit into like the word scale. Like most people don't even know what that word actually means. Correct. And it's just scale your business, scale your business. And you know, I'm not making any money yet, but I want to scale my business. We don't have anything to scale yet, but you also don't need to ever, you don't need to get to the point where you ever even need to scale. Like some people might just want a lifestyle business or like you said, like you can be all set with five people and be the most profitable you're ever going to be. Yep. And, you know, like you don't have to add problems that you don't actually even want to solve. <laughs> well, and that's, and that's especially for service providers. So we yeah. specifically focus on professional service providers, no like people that sell goods or brick and mortar. And to your point about coaching, a lot of people have to be reminded that they are not coaches. And if you are not running a group cohort or a course or something like that, and you're doing one-on-one service or you're doing done for you services, your bandwidth needs to be managed, right? You need to make sure that you're not doing all the jobs because there's only one of you. But at the same time, you need to recognize that you're in a different field. The way that people are going to interact with you, the things that they need from you are not scalable in the same way because you need either more people to be able to do it, or maybe you just need to raise your prices and take fewer people, but you're the boss. Like you get to make the decisions. And I've been saying a lot lately, if it doesn't feel like a business you want to run, you might as well go back to work. Like what is the point of doing this if it can't feel the way that you want it to? We could stop there. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) Okay. So I hear uh, a lot like, if you're going to hire someone, who should the first hire in your business be? And the answer I most often hear to this is a VA. You should hire a VA first. My opinion is not that it should be a VA. I think it's it's more like, what do you actually need? But really, your first hire, realistically, I think should be an accountant. Yeah. And I would say it depends on what you need, right? And so I think a lot of people think that it should be a VA or an OBM or whatever they're calling themselves because you need the support to be able to execute the business first. And so I get that. What I think gets missed in that is to uh, for a lot of people, it's not an either or. You kind of need both at the beginning. If you are not in a position where you can run the back end of your business, execute on the front end and take care of your numbers, you need to introduce whoever you need to introduce in order to support you on that. What is generally most true about hiring an accountant is that people do it late because one, they think they're not making enough money. They're like, I'm not making any money. I don't need to hire anybody right now. The second thing is, bookkeeping is a highly underrated skill. People are like, I can put my numbers into QuickBooks. I can do this myself. I can hire somebody to do this for me for $150 a month. Matter of fact, my VA, if I hire them, can just do this piece for me. And all of that sounds good until you have a problem. And as soon as you have a problem, you realize all of the things that have been catching up to that point. And so I really recommend that If you're hiring an accountant, good. If you're just getting into a relationship with an accountant, if you need to check in with somebody twice a year, if you're just hiring them to support you in tax support, you need to start building that relationship because what typically ends up happening is that people are in a place where it's like, I messed up. 
I don't know what's wrong. And now I need to hire you. And also my taxes are due tomorrow. And I need you to do all the things. And at least at Little Fish, we don't work like that. Most good accountants do not work like that. And so find somebody that you trust, that you like, that you can believe, that you can ask questions of and feel like it's a safe space. Because if you do that from... And I'm only going to talk to you twice a year, once a year situation. As you make more, you add on to that relationship, but you already have a person and you're not hiring out of desperation where you're like, I just realized that I actually can't do this myself. Can somebody please come in and save me? Okay. So you said a a word that I just want to clarify for anyone listening. So you said bookkeeper. And that like, that's the glorified thing in the beginning that, you know, you just need bookkeeping services or your VA can do it. And you're just, you know, putting stuff into QuickBooks or whatever. What is the difference between a bookkeeper versus an accountant? And then if we took it a step further, because I think when I was looking through your website, you offer this, taking it a step further into what is a virtual CFO. Yeah, absolutely. So that's actually a good way to think about how we even offer services is in this order of priorities, right? So if we take first priority in terms of accounting support, bookkeeping is the categorization and reconciling of your transactions. And what that means is everything that comes through the business, we want to make sure it's in the right bucket. If you have an advertising expense, we want to make sure it's categorized as such. We want to reconcile the accounts every month in order to ensure that Everything that's in your bank account matches what's in your accounting system. We didn't duplicate anything and we didn't miss anything. That really sets the foundations for your financial statements. And your financial statements are what you're looking at every month to see how the business is doing. What I really like about really small businesses is that we have the power to pivot, right? So if you look at your statements in the middle of November or the middle of December and you see that you're a little bit off, we can create Uh, revenue streams. Oh, I should probably have a webinar or I should push the selling of this one service so that I can build this up. Unlike a big corporation where 15 directors need to sign off for it to trail down by the time you make the change, the month is already over. So bookkeeping is getting all the numbers in the right spots. The next step in terms of priorities is compliance. And for us, that is taxes. And that is to say, if our bookkeeping is in order, we're going to use those numbers to do some tax planning throughout the year. Remember that for everybody listening, your taxes that are due um, in March, April, whenever, um, are actually for the year before. So it's year ending 1231. What we want to think about is that taxes are year round. What are the estimates? How can that influence how I price things, what I pay for, uh, the strategies that I'm employing, not just for taxes, but knowing that that is on the side. The next level up for us is advisory. So transactions are categorized properly. Taxes are um, being um, estimated properly. Advisory, I think of as now what? If that information is in place, what am I supposed to do with that in order to make new decisions for my business? How should I be um, managing the funds that are in the business? How should I be planning for the future? And then virtual CFO or outsourcing is the top level. That is when you get to the point where you're like, I could do this, but I don't want to. I'd rather just somebody else send my invoices and follow up and run payroll and pay bills and all of the things that have to do with me getting money in and out of my business. I don't want to touch that anymore. So if you think of that as kind of the four pillars for how you decide what is most important, you know that the base level bookkeeping is just putting things in their right buckets. Now, a bookkeeper could be an accountant. Um, 
but it's not always. An accountant in general is just someone who does accounting. A lot of people use it as shorthand for a CPA, not necessarily. A CPA has taken the exam. We have to get continuing education credits every year. But for example, you could work at a major corporation as an accountant um, and not have any certifications, but still be, you know, educated, understanding accounting. Um, and then, so if you got bookkeeper, they're managing all your transactions. If you got a CPA, this means that they took the test. This also doesn't indicate what type of work that they do. So you've got CPAs or accountants who only do bookkeeping and won't touch taxes. You've got CPAs and accountants that only do taxes and will not touch bookkeeping. So what you really want to make sure is when you go to hire an accountant, have a general idea of what feels hard for you. That's one of the things that I ask on the discovery call. What sucks? What do you not want to do anymore? And what are things that if they were easier, you would be willing to take on versus I don't care how easy it is. I don't want to touch it anymore. Um, and so that's how you're going to kind of break it down. Bookkeepers, make sure that they're in the right buckets. Accountants is generally anybody who does accounting. Um, CPAs have taken the test and have continuing education. EAs, which you'll sometimes see, are tax focused. So they have taken a test through the IRS that is specifically in tax. Those certifications don't tell you everything that you need to know, but they at least give you some sense of how far in certifications people have gone and how often they're required to keep up on their skills. I actually, I don't think I've ever, it's, my guess is executive accountant. What's it, what is an EA? Enrolled agent. <laughs> not not at all <laughs> <laughs> because they are they are a type of accountant in some ways but they're not doing bookkeeping financial statements their focus is specifically on making sure that your tax returns are accurate interesting i did not know that Okay, so I hope you are really enjoying this episode. I wanted to pause for just a quick reminder and then we'll get right back to it. If you are a service-based business owner and want to sustainably grow and scale your business with a foundation in your business that supports your lifestyle vision and could eventually run without you, there are two ways I can help through either done for you or done with you support. So first, the Solepreneur Agency is a full service done for you operations agency where our team can become yours and we take over optimizing the entire back end of your business business, including systems, automations, technology, design, marketing, both organic and paid like Facebook ads and visibility. And second, we have two flagship coaching programs, Scalable Foundations, which is a low cost membership to build the foundation for a business, which is intentional, sustainable and profitable while generating more leads, more traffic and more sales. And then Sustainable Growth Lab, which is a 12 month long program. If you're growing from multi five to multi six figures per year, want to pay yourself more and become a supported CEO. CEO by dialing in on your strategy, your operations, and your team. So to get started, head over to sustainablescaling.co slash links. It's also in the show notes. All right, let's get back to it. So taking that, like, is there a point at which someone would come in and make recommendations for your business? Like this is, you know, this particular stream of income is the thing that's the most profitable for you. This one is, this one is the one that's like hemorrhaging money. You might want to consider getting rid of that, like making actual more of an advisory capacity through the streams of income coming in the business. Absolutely. And I think that that's the really important part about finding an accountant that works for you because we're all using similar, similar terminology, but that doesn't mean the same thing. So for example, all of our services include some advisory component. If it's tax prep suite, we're still going to talk to you twice a year about not just tax planning, but like these are the things that we see in your books. There are going to be other accountants that for them, advisory is I sent you an email kind of laying these things out 
quote, let me know if you have any questions. So make sure you're picking somebody that talks to you in a cadence that makes sense for you. The other thing that I would say, um, and I we have some videos and some episodes about this, but really understand how to read your own financial statements. Even if it's a general sense of, I know what revenue means, I know what this is trying to tell me, I have a sense of what should be falling into the expense bucket so that I think it's important, kind of the same point that you were making earlier, you need to understand what these mean before you hire somebody so that you understand what they're trying to tell you. I don't want anybody that's completely reliant on an expert to say, oh, well, I mean, just tell me what I need to know. I want people to feel empowered, business owners to feel empowered to say, I understand these parts, these other two things I don't really get. Can you explain it to me? So when you're looking at your profit and loss statement, look at your revenue, gut check. Does that make sense? When you look at last month and you're like, I worked a lot. I feel like I made more than this is telling me. I must have categorized something wrong or something like that. Or you're looking at your expenses and it's like, that contractor's expense is super high. Let me look in here and see, do I need to move something around? Get there first. And then you can start making advisory or strategic decisions because at the end of the day, no matter who you hire, you are the expert on your business. You know your business better than anybody else. There are gonna be lines of revenue that never make you any money. And you're like, I don't care. I love it. And I still wanna do it. I think about that sometimes with the podcast. I love making the podcast, but it's free to people. It's not free to me. Um, But that's not the point. I want to do it and it's fine. I just need to make sure that my books reflect the fact that the other services that we offer are able to eat the cost that this non-revenue generating part is going to cost me in the long run. Mm-hmm. Well, ultimately though, is your podcast really non-revenue generating? Do you get clients from your podcast? Sometimes I think we do. Um, what we generally offer the podcast is if you are not ready, um, to hire someone, I want to make sure you leave better than you came. Um, so you're not starting at zero. The other thing that it's actually been really helpful for us is for clients who ask something that is potentially out of scope or they need a quick reference point. It's nice to be able to say, oh, we made an episode about that and we can send you this and maybe we made a guide for it. It's also proof, right? So if you've never heard me speak or you don't know what it would feel like to talk to me, the podcast is a good way to get a sense of like, the way that I talk here is the way that I'm going to talk to you on a call. And so you have a sense of the kind of personality that you're interacting with, even if it's not me, even if it's somebody on the team that is really supporting you, you know how we manage people, how we manage feelings, the intentionality that we bring to it that comes out in these podcast episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's say someone is they've been in their business for a minute. They're starting to actually make some money, but they've not been very intentional around the way that they've, you know, thought about either having a bookkeeper, <clears throat> excuse me, or an accountant. And they're, you know, they're moving toward their, they're going to hit six figures soon, or they already have like, what are the things that you would recommend they really start looking at through the scope of their, the financial side of their business and and how often do people come to you at that point who are like, everything's, a ma- it's all on fire. Everything's, a ma- I- QuickBooks, what even is that? It's just all paper and pen and, yes. and help, please help. Spreadsheets. Yeah, Spreadsheet. so I would say yes. the first two pieces are, you want to make sure that you have a business account. A lot of people get into messes of moving money back and forth between their personal and their business account. And it gets really unclear how much the business earned versus how much you gave it, how many expenses were paid out of your personal account that are not showing up over here. So you want to get a business account 
And you want to make sure that everything that is paid to and from the business goes into that business account. If the business cannot afford it yet, if you got some cash flow shortages and you're like, mm, I'm not going to be able to make payroll this month. Instead of paying it from your personal account, your personal account should basically give the business account an allowance of sorts to say, all right, here's some money to you. Spin that up and then we'll see if you need more. But at the end of the day, that allows you to do two, which is to get an accounting system. A lot of people come to us with a spreadsheet that they've been tracking very manual. Human error is always going to be involved. And it requires that you remember a lot of stuff that there's just too much on our brains right now. And so if you have this business account and it is catching everything, you can then connect it to an accounting system like QuickBooks that will allow it to pull in all of the transactions. And your job is to put them in the right bucket. So if you go out of town, you don't have to remember, don't forget to put in my spreadsheet that last week I went to New York and I had three Ubers and four meals and a train. That's all going to come through your business account. QuickBooks is going to catch it and you just need to put it into its right line item. I think the third thing to keep in mind is to some extent you have to hire before you're ready. And that includes an accountant. Um, by the time you are in desperation mode, a lot of people will make the wrong decision on their accountant because they're like, whoever can take me the fastest, that's who I'm going to go to. An accounting relationship is intimate, it takes time, and someone should be taking care of you. And so you want to have some space to be able to decide, hey, it's a mess. How long would this take you? How long would it take to catch up? And then what would our relationship look like going forward, rather than going with the first person that's like, I can get this done for you by next week. The ability to do that without really understanding your business might lead to more issues down the line. And so you want to have some space and distance to be able to decide who's the best fit. I could not agree more that that is one of those, that's one of those places where you're going to look at, you You might want to hire before you're ready. This The same way with having some, some semblance of uh, legal protection and like it's, it all falls in that bucket of like, if you want your business to to function in the long term for in the way that you want it to like that's probably one of the things you're going to want to look at is hiring an accountant or someone who can help you financially before you maybe feel totally prepared to do it very much so and it forces you to treat your business like a business from the beginning i think mm -hmm. sometimes whether it's from outside factors or from our own kind of insecurities about what our business is i remember for a long time i wouldn't call people clients i would just be like oh this person that i'm doing taxes for because it wasn't real to me that like i had a business once you start employing people um, as service providers, as contractors, as actual employee, it really starts you your mindset to thinking that this is a real business. And as a real business, regardless of where I am right now, there are some foundational pieces that I need to put into place because I know it's going to grow. And when you don't do that, when you're taking it all on yourself and you're doing all the pieces, it can be easy to not fall into what those foundational steps are because you're like, oh, it's just a little, I'm not really making much money. But when I do, I'll definitely get help on this piece. And by that point, you're also correcting all the things that you didn't do at the beginning. Yes. <clears throat> Something you also said around like running payroll sparked for me. What, <laughs> if I came to you and I was like, Keela, should I be actually paying myself? Like, should I be on salary? Should I be, <laughs> how does that, how does that work? Like <clears throat> being US based, like how does the government perceive if I were going to want to go purchase a, a house, how would, how would a lender look at my, my income versus like, I run a business. So I'm just like paying myself and taking the profits of the business or, you know, just 
moving some money into my personal account once or twice a month or whatever, versus like actually being on payroll and giving myself a paycheck. Yeah. So part of that is going to be your business entity type. So if you're a sole proprietor or one or two person LLC, you are not to pay yourself because giving yourself money is not an expense. You may take draws, which is essentially a transfer. And just because I think that this needs to come up every time it it happens, LLCs do not do anything for your taxes. They are considered disregarded entities, which means the IRS doesn't respect them. If you're a one person LLC, they're taxing you like a sole proprietor. If you're a two person LLC, they're taxing you like a partner partnership and you are taxed on profit. What that means is it doesn't matter how much you give yourself quote out of the business account. If you make $100,000 and you give yourself 50,000, they're still taxing you on that 100,000 in profit. The differences are if you elect to be taxed as an S-corp or you're a C-corporation, this allows you to be able to put on payroll and you treat yourself like any other employee. You run payroll through a payroll provider like Gusto. Um, You take payroll taxes or they take payroll taxes on your behalf and send them to the IRS in the state. But be really careful about what you consider paying yourself because when you are on payroll, that is an expense to the business. When you are taking draws, um, that is not an expense to the business. It goes on your balance sheet, which is more than you need right now. But you know that that is not a reduction that reduces your tax burden. Can we go down this rabbit hole a little bit? Absolutely. Okay. So first of all, should someone consider forming an S corp right away? Like I, I heard what you said, like LLC district, I don't want any of that. Like I'm just, I'll just go straight for the S corp or elect C corp right away. No. Um, Generally, the issue with an S-corp, not the issue, but the thing that most people think about is that they consider it just a tax election. And so they want to elect an S-corp so that they can save on taxes. Um, And we have a guide about this that I'll make sure that you all get a link to. But basically, the idea is that it is more than just a tax election. It is an administrative burden, right? Because now you are an employer. So you need to follow workers' comp rules. You need to follow unemployment rules. You need to make sure that paid time off and sick leave and all of those things that you got to think about when you're employing people are in place. It is also potentially an administrative burden depending on where you live for the state. So for the IRS, it's just a form. You send it up. You're like, I want to treat me as an escort next year. For states, Every state treats them differently. Some some states say, oh, you're an escort. We treat those as a corporation and this is what you have to do. Some states say, nope, still pass through, not really going to treat it any differently, but thanks for letting us know. And so before you invest in that, it takes an additional tax return, which is going to cost more. Before you invest in that, you really want to make sure that you're one, profitable, two, that you can afford to pay yourself what is considered a reasonable salary. IRS has a few rules on that, but essentially you cannot just say, I'm an S-corp and I pay myself like $4,000 a year. You're going to get a W-2 and the IRS is going to say, you made a lot of money. You're saying that out of that, you only paid yourself a salary of this much. We generally recommend that people start even looking at an S-corp between 50 and 75K in profit. Once you get to that point, that does not mean automatically that you should be electing an S-Corp, but that's at least when you should start asking the questions. Again, get informed before you hit those numbers, though, because it may be that you're like, I don't really know how much I'm going to make this year, but I always want you to have in the back of your mind, if I were an S-Corp, this is what it would require of me. How far in advance do I need to know that in order to make the election? I have like 20 questions that I just wrote down. (laughs) Okay, you said um, some states will say will say yes. You we need to 
I don't remember how you worded it. So I'm going to get to the point of the question I'm trying to ask. Yep. You said that other states will consider you still a pass-through. What does that mean? Ah, okay. So some states will consider you a incorporated. And what that means is it has a separate tax return. The business pays taxes for itself. If we use the example that I always use, which is $100,000, $100,000 for the state is going to be taxed directly to the business. A pass-through is how the IRS treats S-Corps um, and will also be for states. And what that means is that you file essentially an informational return. You say, hey, IRS, I made $100,000. Make sure you look for that on Keila's tax return because it's actually going to show up on her individual return. Pass-through means that the business is not taxed. That money gets passed through to your individual return and all of the income that you made, W-2 income, your spouse, if they have any income or businesses, and the information from your S-Corp goes on one return and you pay taxes there. And so the difference is, does the business pay taxes and does it have its own tax rate? Or is the business just telling the IRS and the state to look for it on my return and I pay taxes on it? And any rate, you only pay taxes on the money one time. So if your business is taxed um, directly by the state, then on your individual return, there's usually like a waiver line that's like, yeah, I know that it looks like I made this $100,000, but the business already paid for that. So don't include that when you tax me as a person. Are you still paying double social security as the, nope. as the owner? No, that goes away. Yeah, because you are paying social security on earned wages. So social security and Medicare is what's coming out of your W-2. If you are an LLC or a one-person LLC or a sole proprietor or a partnership, you are paying self-employment taxes, and that's the Medicare and Social Security on all of your profit. When you elect to be treated as an S-Corp, you pay that on your earned wages, so the salary that you're earning, but that remaining amount that is left over in the business isn't earned the same way, and it only has withholding tax. It doesn't have Medicare and Social Security attached. Got it. Okay. Perfect. Now, going back to this reasonable salary idea. Yep. <laughs> so I think I'm worth a whole lot of money. I think I should be paying myself a whole lot because I do everything. Well, CEOs get, get paid a lot. Like if you look up the average salary of a CEO, they make lots of money. So shouldn't I be able to just... You can, can I just yourself. elect to take a $250,000 a year salary? Or, you, you sure know, can. Now, from a tax tax standpoint, remember what we just said, right? You have three taxes on earned wages, so your salary, withholding, Medicare, and Social Security. What you leave in the business has one tax, withholding. So if you make $250,000 and you pay it all to yourself in salary, you have three taxes on that $250,000. And so you'll want to talk to your accountant, tax preparer about like what makes sense for a balance for me, because what maybe should happen is that you take $175,000 salary and you take $75,000 in draws as needed, and that lowers your tax burden. And so the IRS is never going to penalize you for paying yourself too much, but you may be overpaying your um, in taxes as opposed to making a split between what is salary and what is taken out separately as draws. So this is actually a new concept for me because this was totally not even in the realm of anything in a nonprofit. I was never thinking yeah. about profit draws or anything like that. So this is something that I've just recently started to understand and am very curious to know like what exactly does what exactly does that mean when you say give yourself 175 and then take the the other 75 in a draw? Like what is the benefit of doing that? Ah, so 175 in a salary has all the payroll taxes, right? Mm -hmm. So every time you get paid, they're taking out um, withholding tax, they're taking out Medicare, and they're taking out Social Security. 
The 75K that we used in this example as a draw is just a transfer from your business account to your personal account. It has no tax impact because you're it's left in the profit. You're getting taxed on whatever profit the business makes, whether you took out all that money as a draw or you left it all in the business. And so the benefit is that you don't have Medicare and Social Security on that because you're getting taxed on the profit in total, no matter how much you take out. And so the reason that you might want to make that split is you might say, well, I don't want Medicare and Social Security taken out on this whole 250. I want it taken out of the salary that I'm paying myself for working here. And then these additional draws that I'm taking, they don't have a tax impact that way, at least for all intents and purposes for this conversation. See, I hear that. And this might be really opening up too much of a can of worms. I hear that. I'm like, why wouldn't you just pay yourself a, a, a relative, a reasonable, but smaller salary. And then like, is this how people wind up being like Elon Musk billionaires who are like, well, we're taking a profit draw. No one's paying taxes on anything. So like, that's, that's where the reasonable really... salary is really kind of um, an art and a science, right? Because you have to pay yourself enough based on what you're making, what industry you're in, what your title is, that the IRS is not coming back to you like the example that we gave earlier and saying, well, my reasonable salary is $10,000 a year. They're like, no, it's not. Because then I can see that you took out $125,000 in draws. So if you're only paying yourself this much and that's the amount that you're paying payroll taxes on, I have an issue with the fact that you're avoiding paying payroll taxes on this major amount that you're taking out. So one, if you got audited, it would be a flag. But the second thing is when they're talking about reasonable salary, there's an expectation that based on, again, your industry, your revenue, your profit, you are paying yourself what you quote should be paying yourself to do the job. And some of that is, again, art of like trying to figure out what the right number is. Some of it is this idea that as long as you're able to leave all this profit in the business and take some for yourself, depending on your business entity type, how does that show up for your tax return? That's so, this is all, it's, this is very conceptual. That's really interesting to me that like, well, what if it were, you know, I'm going to pay myself a salary of a quarter of a million dollars, but then the business still profits another million, let's say. Yep. Like, you know, I see some people who are in the, in this industry that like they're making wild amounts of money. Yep. So let's say they have, you know, they've got another million dollars left over, maybe even more. Like, would that be a flag for the IRS? Like, do they need to find something else to do? It, Not necessarily. Do, you know, I, I don't because know. Because eventually you, you probably have a cap, right? Like eventually it's like this job pays $250,000. And yeah. even if my business makes 10 million, I don't have to take a higher salary if I don't want to. But again, Art and science, you need to talk to your accountant about the industry yeah. that you're in is 250000 reasonable. Should you be at a $500,000 salary? And that would take away the ire of the IRS. So some of that is revenue. Some of that is what you do. Some of it is, yeah, based on what I do, this job never really pays people more than $250,000. I just happen to be able to make a ton more money. But you want to be able to defend it. You want to have some background of how you came to this number that you didn't just out of the air say, I think I should get paid about a quarter million. So having documentation for that is going to be important. And just having advice, having somebody that you can talk to to say, hey, would this raise any flags for the IRS? And do you have any recommendations on how I should do this in a way that'll keep me out of trouble? So interesting. I don't think I've ever had a conversation on this podcast where I've been like, I'm going to stop asking questions that I think I should be asking and only go down <laughs> that like, I really want to know the answers to this about. So that's, I think that's really, I, I find all this stuff like nerdy and fun. <laughs> 
Yeah. And it's helpful. And what I like to tell people is like, the goal is not that the first time you hear this, you're like, yep, got it. I got all of this down. What I hope is that you hear this, that it leaves nuggets in your mind that you can come back to when you need it. And at the very least, when somebody is like, you should be an escort, that you're like, hey, I've heard of that. I know kind of what I think that this means. I've got a foundational understanding and I can ask additional questions, but that is not brand new to you so that somebody makes decisions for you that you just completely don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I want to ask you about uh, you. I saw on your website that you also run something called Accountants of Color. And I would love to know more about that. I am so proud of Accountants of Color. So Accountants of Color is a company that I co-founded with Kelly Liu. Um, and it is really for BIPOC accountants, Black, Indigenous, people of color who are uh, generally left out of accounting conversations. We represent a very small percentage of CPAs, of enrolled agents, um, and really trying to make sure that one, there's a safe space for us to have conversations about some of the things that we experience specifically as people of color in the industry. And also Kelly and I both run accounting firms. She runs a successful tax practice. We run an overall accounting firm um, of giving information that we didn't have when we started to support people and their ability to build accounting firms that support their lifestyles. And so both of us have really small teams, really leaning into the same thing that you were saying earlier is like, we're not interested in just expanding for the sake of expanding, but also wanting to create a pipeline because Kelly and I will get full. And so how can we create a space that says, if we are full or if we're not the best fit for you, how can we direct you to other people of color that you could still support in the industry who can take care of you as well? I love that. Yeah. You also you also do a lot of charitable work it looks like. And that I've I should have had this in front of me I guess, but like how much of that is are you volunteering your time on on boards versus do you also give a percentage of your profits or like do you you donate back through your business? Yeah. So we donate to the business. I also volunteer time through the board. That's actually an interesting question because we are working on a corporate giving policy for next year where the team will actually have input on who we give to. We're a team of all women. We've got mothers on the team. We've got um, single people on the team who have family who are experiencing different things. There are different causes and such that are really important to us. And up to this point, I have been kind of the lead on that of like, I volunteer on these boards where I do these things and I want to make sure that we volunteer, but wanting to make sure that the team is involved in ensuring that locally and just nationwide on causes that we're really interested in, that we're using our skill and service to create um, salaries that support the team, bonuses that allow the team to lead, lead meaningful lives, but that we're also giving back in ways that are more than just time. Yeah. I love that. I think that's so important. I mean, I I hear a lot of people say like part of the reason that um, motivates someone to start a business is because they want to be able to give back to their communities or to causes that they find important. Like what, what do you find is the difference between like you, Keela, as, as the human being running the business versus the business, the entity of the business donating to those causes that are important? I think that it is a symbol of the company culture that I want to build and also the idea that 
we serve all people, right? And so the things that matter to me individually are also incorporated into the thread of what we do at Little Fish. It's the reason that we have free and low cost options for people to be able to get accounting support. It's the reason why, you know, we want to make sure we've gotten questions, for example, on, um, discovery call applications where people will ask us like, are you LGBTQ plus friendly? Are you, um, you know, they specifically want to support a woman of color who is running a business. All of those things run through my individual life. And I want to make sure that the money that we are earning is also put back into those communities to ensure that they're getting what they need as well. I also think that there's just something to be said for the fact that like all this, the reason that billionaires can be billionaires is because they hoard the money and it doesn't go back out. And if I can do it at a very small level to say, based on what we make, we can still afford to kind of pour back into these organizations that matter to us. I also think that it sets the example for other small businesses, that it tells our team members, hey, the stuff that you care about, I care about too. And I want to make sure that the place that you work is supporting those things that are important to you in a way that I can do individually, um, but I think has a different kind of impact when I can do it from the business side. I totally agree. I This is something that I've like really started to be more vocal about around, like, I want to make sure that people I'm working with know before we even ever have a conversation, know that I have certain values in my life that flow into my business. And I understand that they're two different things and what, like, you know, to be more forward with, these are the things that matter to me. These are the things that I'm investing in. These are the, these are the causes and these are the organizations that I believe in. And if that's, if that's not something that you're interested in, like, we don't, we don't need to work together. Right. <laughs> and really, you know, like you were saying, you know, are you LGBTQ plus friendly? And like, I've got a sibling who's non-binary and mm-hmm. I just frankly don't want to work with someone who would be like, I think, you know, there's no such thing as third gen, like gen, there's right. two gen, like, I just don't, that's a separate conversation to be like how we could how we could communicate on what that looks like in order to be more tolerant and what Mm -hmm. that actually, and how to understand that. But from a level of, if you're like, that is not okay with me. I just don't need to work with you. Right. (laughs) Because again, we're the boss. We get to pick who we work with. The joy in running Little Fish is that I get to select who is a best fit for me and who we're a best fit for. The other thing that I've been thinking a lot about, and I think that that really speaks to what you're saying is I don't want to be a quiet ally. When things matter, I want to speak out and say, this matters to us too. I thought about that when um, the Roe v. Wade decision came down. We Mm -hmm. are a team full of women. I am a woman that has chosen by choice not to have children. We have a team of women that have chosen to have children. It is important to me that we get to pick. And granted, I have the luxury of living in a state where Maryland is generally doing what they're supposed to, and I don't have to worry about it for the most part right now um, in my state, but I'm from Georgia and I know that we don't have the same rights down there. And it is important to me to stand up as a representative of this community, as a black woman in this space where I know that we are gonna get harder than other people when these um, decisions come down, that we say as Little Fish, this matters to us. It matters to us that this happens for all of the people that are going to be affected by this. And I think that 
standing in the background is a luxury that I want to make sure that we're not taking advantage of, that we're just like, oh, yeah, 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 that's going to suck for some people. But luckily, we don't have to deal with that here. It is important to me that we support a community of people that don't have access to those same systems, organizations, money, whatever that is, um, and that we're loud about it. And so it's a goal of mine, too, that we speak up more. Yeah. Yeah. This could be a whole separate podcast episode. Listen. <laughs> I, I found... Um, if, if I'm not keeping you, cause I know that we're here at the hour. Um, I find now that like, there's almost a sense of relief because before I would like start to talk about certain yeah. things around, like, you know, I want to, I want someone who is, who identifies as LGBTQ. And I want to know that people of color, like they can feel safe within mm-hmm. my community and, and these things. And I'm like, but I don't want to necessarily talk about that because what if that, you know, and now that I'm, like, but I'm yeah. And I, you know, I don't believe in cancel culture either, really. yeah. like it's, you know? And so, but I feel that now that I'm, it's, if you go on my website, like it's going to be really obvious. If yeah. you fill out an application for my program, it says like, we create a, a safe community for members, regardless mm-hmm. of race, religion, on and on and on. And so they're checking, like, if they're submitting that application, I don't, I don't have to worry about, I know that I can just say the thing that I'm going to say and not you know, have to wonder if like someone is going to be like, why did I'm not comfortable with that? Yeah. Or, there's, it's, it's, there's almost a sense of like, f- it's freeing yep. to know that that's, these are my values. And this is, I'm being very value forward and, you know, you can make your choices where you want to be and where you don't want to be. But like, I know that my community is the community that I want to cultivate. Right. I believe that the universe will bring you your people. And so if we are not coming from a place of lack, if we are not coming from a place of selling out of fear, which same thing, if Mm -hmm. as long as I have this idea that like, oh, but people might not pay me if I do this thing or they might not come to us. I think what is more important is that if we show up authentically, if we say these are the things that matter to me, then we will just find the people for whom it matters to them too. And hopefully, and expectantly, we will repel the people that are not there. Like if you don't believe that non-binary is a thing, if you don't believe that Black Lives Matter, if you don't believe that women should have a choice, I don't want to take your money. I'd rather you just keep it and go to somebody else. I don't need that kind of cash. That energy flow doesn't feel good to me. And so that I think was a freedom space too, of being able to be like, oh yeah, maybe those people won't pay me, but good. Like, I don't want them. So I think that works out for everybody involved. Yeah. That's a good, the energetic exchange of that is, is a really great point. Yeah. Like we could, this, this can be part two. You can can do a part two. That's well in it. I, what is your sign say behind you? Unfolding, rising, becoming, is that what's behind you? Yes. It's from Rayo and Honey, who is a black woman owned business out of New York that I love a lot. And this was specifically from the uh, Michelle Obama book. I think Ah. it's becoming. Becoming. Yeah. Yep. So this was created kind of in support of that. We can check. Yes. <laughs> that's one of the books. That's why I've got books all over my house. I'm like, I'm pretty Thanks. sure that would guide me. <laughs> that's, I love that sign. Yeah. Right. It's a reminder to that me banner. Too, of like getting over your perfectionism, which is something that I struggle with is like, 
we are building, we are growing, we are learning, we are coming into ourselves. And all of the conversations that we've been having today about whether it's finding your ideal client or it's really putting out in the world what you represent in this space, it's a matter of this, of like, it's a constant growth and evolution of ourselves. But eventually we become the people, the business owners, the leaders that we want to be so that we can support and serve in the ways that feel good to us. Well, what I have learned from this podcast is you are my people. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I love that. I love it. (laughs) Okay, so I I like to wrap up with, um, I start every episode with a particular question. I end every episode with a specific question. Okay. So I want you to imagine fast forwarding to the end of your business. It's it's all a good thing because you're selling, because you're selling it, because you're retiring, because you're moving on to the next chapter, like whatever that is. What are the three things that you hope your business will have given you? I hope my business will have given me financial stability. Um, I have always been in industries where I could get paid. And so um, I've been an accountant for my entire career, have always gotten really good salaries. And I didn't realize how additional money would like change the life of me and my family. I also hope that it gives me a sense of pride. Um, I'm really just proud of all of the things that we've been able to do from free things to paid things to really setting an example for what it can look like to provide accounting services to businesses. And then third, I hope that it provides an example. Um, One of the things that I'm really excited about in Accountants of Color is that eventually it will get to a point that for a variety of reasons, I will not run this company anymore. And when we get there, I hope that we have set an example that we have built up other um, BIPOC accountants to be able to take the mantle and run with it to serve people in a way that feels like human centered and not transactional. And the more that we do in that way, the more that we continue to support our clients in that way, the better I can feel when this is all over that we did what I came to do. I love that. Was Thank that three? You. Was that three? Was that two? I think that's three. That's, I, I Financial stability, pride, example. Yes. Oh, three. example. That I, exa- I gotcha. I love that. Uh, we went sort of all over the world today. Is there anything you feel like we didn't touch on that you want to add in before we leave? No, I would say the only thing that I want to leave everybody with is give yourself some grace. Accounting and finances can feel really overwhelming, but there's really no reason that you should know how. And I think we can easily beat up on ourselves and say, oh, why did I do this wrong? Or I should have hired somebody earlier. Start where you are. Use what you have. Do what you can. Once you know better, figure out what the next step is for you. That next step doesn't have to be, I'm getting a virtual CFO. That next step might be, I need to schedule a consult just to see where I am. Take the next step for you, but there's no shame and guilt in where you are now. Yes. And I will leave everyone with your links. They'll be linked in the in the show notes so that if they, if they want to connect with you and find you or schedule that consultation with you, they can do that. Absolutely. Uh, and I will also say, follow Keela on Instagram because that's really what prompted, I go, oh, I should ask her to come do an episode here because your, your transparency lately has been just, I've been all about it around what it means to self-care as a business owner and take time for yourself and really be, give yourself more grace yeah. to, to step away. And so I've, 
I am here for that conversation. Absolutely. Please follow us at Little Fish Accounting. Um, you'll see the link in the show notes to take you to our website, littlefishaccounting.com. And yeah, we have a podcast. It's called Fish Food. It's bite-sized accounting advice. I try to keep them under about 10 minutes. And if you ever have feedback or if you have questions or if there's something that we haven't covered, we're always open to suggestions because I want to make sure that everything that we put out is valuable. Well, friend, we have reached the end of another episode, but before you go, I wanted to ask if you found this episode helpful, inspirational, or insightful, or hopefully a little bit of all three. And if so, I would really appreciate your leaving a five-star review or sharing it with your friends on social media. And if you do, I would love to send you a complimentary copy of my month-by-month yearly planning template, which is kind of the greatest spreadsheet of all time. <laughs> I love making spreadsheets. It's amazing to organize what you're planning, what you're promoting, and what you're preparing. It'll organize your launches, your content, what your team should be working on if you've got a team. And it includes a video training to get you going with the, with the template. And all you've got to do is take a screenshot of your review and then tag me on Instagram in a story, or you can DM it to me at sustainable scaling. I appreciate your support so much, and I will catch you in the next episode. Oh, 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 oh,